chapter 3, and we talk about how we can have this renewed faith for the year. We remind ourselves that what we see God doing uh, in this book is showing these people where their faith has failed. God is making a statement to the people. The people question that statement in disbelief. They don't believe that they're doing what God says that they are doing, and then God goes about proving that. And the same is the situation here in Malachi chapter 3. And the, the way this opens, I think, is particularly stunning in the description that God gives about himself. I would certainly enjoy for us to only have the sermon from verse 7, but I do try to get through these books in a timely manner as best as I can. But notice what you see God saying in verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Here is, is, is God just pointing out that if we are to look at the history of Israel, it is a history of rebellion. You can go all the way back to the very start and note that they were not doing what God said. It is amazing to even read when the prophets tell us that they even had idols when they were in Egypt. And they brought those idols with them and they were worshiping foreign gods all along the way. And so you see this picture of God saying, from the very beginning, all of your history, all of your ancestors is all about rebellion. But then notice what God says next. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. And why I'd want that to be a whole sermon is just to note that here is a nation that its whole history has been in rebellion. And yet God still will open out his hands and say, I'll still take you back if you'll come back. A, a whole life of rebellion can still be forgiven. A, a whole life that has turned its head and its heart and its life away from God can still come back to God. That God is still opening his arms out to his people and saying, if you will return to me. I will return to you. And so a beautiful message of the character of God to even look upon the nation for hundreds of years in rebellion to him. And God still says, if you'll come back, I will take you back. But we've gotten used to how this usually plays out in the book, right? When God says something, they argue with it. And you will notice that they respond at the end of verse seven by saying, how can we return? Now, you would wish for that to be a pious, righteous, good answer. You'd want this to be like, oh, we really want to come back. How should we return? But based upon how God answers in verse 8, that's not what they're doing. They're not saying, oh, we are so sorry and we really want to come back and we are really cut to the heart and what should we do? That's not what they're doing. When they say, how shall we return? What they're saying is, what do you mean? How should we return? We haven't left. They think they're fine. They think they're still in close connection to God. They think they still have a relationship. And here's God saying, your whole history is that of rebellion. And yet they are saying to God, oh no, we've been with you this whole time. What do you mean that we should return? We aren't lost. We're, we're right here. We aren't far from you. We're, we're your people. And so what God keeps having to do is show the people how they are far from God. Now, we've looked at almost three chapters now at this point of all the different ways that the people have been far from God in terms of their heart, in terms of their worship, in terms of how they're keeping the covenant. There are all kinds of, of points that God has made throughout this book. 
This one might be the most surprising, though, if you think about how God wants us to think about our relationship with him. Because here they say, what do you mean return? We haven't gone anywhere. And notice how God responds in verse 8. In verse 8, he says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Now, I just, you know, you think about that for a minute. Did you know that it was possible to rob God? That's not the way I would think about things and talking about God. You say, here's God's concern. He says, you need to come back to me. They say, what do you mean we need to come back to you? He says, you're robbing me. And of course, they're going to go, how are we robbing you? Because that's how we always do this is they always respond back. No, we're not robbing you. But I want you to think about a truth that it is possible to rob God. It is possible to be taken from him. And God is going to explain what he means by that. But it is certainly an interesting thought that God would say, you're not doing what you ought to do. And that's robbery to me. You're stealing from me. And notice what, how he explains that in verse 8. He says, but you say, how have we robbed you? Of course, they say that. We're used to that now. They're going to argue with everything that God says. And so the response he says is, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with the cursed, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He says, here's how you're robbing me. You're holding back in your offerings and in your tithes. All right, let's talk about that picture for a moment. Because one of the things that we've seen up to this point in our study of Malachi is that the people saw worship as a weariness. Remember, they were just groaning, oh, having to come into the temple and to bring our offerings. This is exhausting. This is tiring. This is a pain. Oh, what a burden that we have to come and worship and serve God. We don't like this. And they showed it not only in the attitude, but remember the animals they were bringing were the leftovers. Oh, I've got this broken one here that's not going to be very helpful to me. I'll give that to God. Oh, here's one that's blemished that I can't find much use for. Not a lot of value. I'll go ahead and give that one to God. You saw in that first chapter, God receiving what the people didn't want. Well, God will take the leftovers, right? Remember God saying, I, I dare you to see if your governor would, would take what you're offering me. We use that in illustration of like, you know, you having cake that you made a month ago and you're like, well, I guess I don't want this. I'll bring this to the New Year's Eve party tonight and they'll be great with that. And everybody's like, you wouldn't even do that to some stranger. And yet you're giving leftovers, which you don't care for to God. And so there's this heart that's being described that the people don't want to worship. They don't want to give sacrifices. They don't want to give to God. And one of the things that God had expressed under the law of Moses for the people of Israel is that they were to give 10% of all that they had. That was what was called the tithe or the tenth to be given. And I want you to notice that you're giving a picture here that they are holding back in doing that. Verse 10 shows us that when he says, bring the full tithe in, bring the whole thing in. So they're giving some, but not all which fits what we've seen in the book is that they're 
giving God some of the things that they want to give, but they're not giving God what he's asked for. And they don't have the heart to do that. Now, I want you to notice how God describes what's going on with that. When you look at verse 9, and he says there, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of Israel, or the whole nation of you. I think this is a a particularly interesting picture because what God is saying is when you hold back on me, then I'm holding back on you. An interesting way that God describes it there in verse 9. He says, you're robbing me and that's why you're cursed. The reason for your condition, the way that it's been described throughout Malachi, is you're holding back your heart, you're holding back your affections, you're holding back your giving, you're holding back your offerings, you're holding back your worship, you're not giving it all to me, and since you won't give me all of you, I'm holding back on you as well. And I think another way to basically put that is, is you're robbing yourself by robbing me. And I don't know that we ever think about it like that in terms of God. We often think about it in terms of, well, I'm improving my condition if I hold back on God. You know, I need to hold back because there's things that I've got to do, whether we're talking about physical things or financial things or time or, or giving of our lives. You know, well, I'm, I'll give God some, but I'm not going to give him the whole thing. I'm going to hold some back. And that's what the people are doing. And I want you to see that God is saying, when when you're holding back on me, I'm I'm holding back on you. I'm not going to be able to give you what I want to give you because you're in reserve. You're holding back. You're not giving me everything that that is deserved of me. And I want you to notice what he says here in verse 10, because it's not too often that God comes along and says, put me to the test. In fact, when you start reading, put God to the test, we're usually like, okay, don't do that, right? We don't put God to the test. That is a big no, don't do that. But notice in verse 10, God says, here's, I want you to put me to the test on this one. Did you see that? Middle of verse 10, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. I want you to test me. And he says in verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food for my house and thereby put me to the test. Well, what's the test? We'll look at the rest of verse 10. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is a truly beautiful picture that God is giving here. I want you to see what God is doing. He is saying, stop robbing me. Give me everything. Give me the full amount. Give me your everything and test that I don't respond in kind. Test that I'm not there for you in that process. Because God, all throughout his history with the people of Israel, has constantly begged them and challenged them and said, I want you to test me and see that you can trust me. You should see that you can trust your whole life with me. Whatever it is, whatever the concern, whatever the need, you can trust me. Remember, God tested that right out of the gate in trying to prove this to the people of Israel. 
He puts them into the wilderness and he doesn't say, now make sure you get about a month's worth of food and water out of Egypt to bring along with us because we're going to go through a wilderness and you're going to need some supplies and you're going to need a bunch of food and we're going to have to hold on to all of this to make it all the way to Canaan. Remember, they don't have food. And what God does every single day for what turns out to be 40 years is to believe that God the next day was going to provide for them the food and the water that they needed, that he would take care of them in the wilderness. Now, remember in the beginning, that was a big challenge because on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to do that. And so everybody wanted to like pile up for a month and God goes, no, no, no. (laughs) You get one day and then for the Sabbath, you can double collect. But other than that, that's it. You're trusting me to take care of you. And remember, Moses comes along in his final sermon and he tells Israel, he says, Don't you remember how God provided for you every step of the way? Don't you remember that not only did he provide you the water and the, and the clothing and the, and the food? He said, he said, your, your, your sandals didn't even wear out for all of those years. Somehow your footwear made it and somehow your feet didn't swell. I mean, just give me a few hours at Disney. My feet are shot. I'm done. I'm over. Just, you know, put me away. He says, you walked for 40 years and your feet were fine. Your shoes were fine. Your clothing was fine. Your food was fine and your water was fine. I took care of you. God was showing that you can trust me. Even when they came into the land. Remember how God did that even when they came into the land. And he would say, now, when you have your harvest, you give me the first. Now, I want you to be You know, for us, we kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, the first, right? Be nervous about what could happen to your harvest the next week and the next month as you're trying to collect. And you're going to give the first part to God before you take the rest. You're trusting God that I'm going to give you the first part and you're going to make sure the rest of it is there. I'm like, okay, what's a parallel today? Maybe something like this. Like if you, God said, here's what I want you to do. If you were paid paycheck, paycheck to paycheck to paycheck, and you had zero in reserve, here's what I want you to do for the first month. You give me all of your paychecks and then I'll take care of the rest of them. That was the idea is you just gave him the front end and he'll take care of the back end. Now, do you believe him? That's what they were supposed to do over and over and over again. And God was trying to prove that to them. In fact, notice how he illustrates it with that in verse 11. In verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not just, it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine of your field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. What did God just say? He said, I'm in charge of all that. I'm in charge of making sure you're fine or not. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer, you know, whether that was going to be locust or plague or blight or whatever it is that would ruin all of their crops. He says, here, put me to the test and you bring in what you're supposed to bring in. And if you give me what you're supposed to bring, give, bring and give, then I'm going to take care of the rest. And I'll make sure that devourer doesn't do that. I'll make sure that you have what you need. In fact, he uses that in verse 10. I will open the windows of heaven for you. Is that an amazing image? 
God saying, I'll just, you know, pull the window open and I will pour out so that you're cared for, so that you have no need, so that you're taken care of. And, you know, God, here we are in the days of Malachi. We're like in the 400s BC and God could have said, and I've done that for like over a thousand years for you. You've seen me do this. I'll keep doing it if you will trust me. And in fact, I want you to notice even in verse 12, the reasoning behind that is you're going to show the world that you have a reason for your faith. Do you see that in verse 12? He says, all the nations will call you blessed. They're all going to look at you and go, God takes care of you. God cares for you. God blesses you. God will get you through. But he says, here's what has to happen. You have to trust that I'm going to care for you. And the biggest problem that you're seeing in the people of Israel this day and time is that they don't trust God's care. They don't believe that God's going to provide for them. That's why they're holding back. That's why they're not giving what God had prescribed. They don't really believe that God's going to take care of them. They don't believe that God's going to provide. They don't believe that God's going to follow through. And I want you to see God just saying, you need to trust me with your lives. Put your life in my hands and see if I take care of you. See if I'm worthy of your trust. See that I don't carry you through. And so he challenges them with that and says, you can trust me with your life. You can trust me with those things. All right. So now it's easy to read a paragraph like that and go, all right, well, that's great for the people of Israel, right? You know, different time, different law, different circumstances. Is that even relevant today? We can't go back there and talk about a paragraph like that. If things are different, we got to take care of ourselves, right? And it's about us and our jobs and we got to provide for ourselves. And that, that was, you know, Old Testament times and can't be relevant today, right? Well, let me start with maybe what Jesus said. Remember Jesus after describing all of the reasons that we have anxiety and worries and cares. And he makes this big conclusion about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And you remember the context back in verse 25 as well as in verse 32 and 31 was what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will wear. And here is Jesus saying, trust me. Will you seek me first? Will you seek my ways and seek my righteousness, trusting that God's going to take care of the rest? It's the very same challenge that Jesus is providing. And we, if you were here Wednesday nights so over the past few weeks, we've talked heavily about the idea of how we look at the physical and think, I'm in control. It's all about me. I've got to take care of it. I've got to do all this. And God is constantly trying to remind us, I'm in charge of all of this. I'm the one deciding. And I'm going to provide for you what you need. Do we believe Jesus' words when he says that if we will seek him and seek his kingdom and his righteousness, that everything else is going to be taken care of? I would submit to you that I could say this another way. Is Jesus not saying put him to the test? 
Seek him first and see what happens. That's what he's saying right there. Will you trust him? Will you seek him first above all else and see what God does? That's what Jesus is asking of us here. I thought the Apostle Paul is even a little bit more detailed in, in, in that idea. In, in 2 Corinthians, we'll, we'll be in, in, in chapter 9 in just a moment. But in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he opens with a really interesting picture about what's going on. I'm always struck by it. Where he describes that there are Christians in Macedonia. And he says they were experiencing a severe test of affliction. All right. Paul said that what they were going through was severe. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, we thought this was really severe, but it really wasn't anything. The Apostle Paul says they're going through a severe test of affliction. And he further says that they were in extreme poverty. Always like. And it says, even though they were in a severe test of affliction and in their extreme poverty, it says that they overflowed with generosity. You know, and you read that at the beginning of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, how they do that? Here they are in this severe test. And they're in extreme poverty, and yet they're overflowing in generosity to these Christians here who are also suffering. He even explores that a little bit more in talking about how that was that giving was the proving of the genuineness of their love. And here in chapter 9, that should have a 9 in front of that. Apologies for that. That's 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 10. In chapter 9, verse 6, here's this big conclusion that he draws. The point of, of, is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Question, is that not exactly what Malachi was telling Israel? <laughs> You're holding back on me, so I'm holding back on you. Uh, it's the very same point that, that was being made in the days of Malachi. Here's the Apostle Paul. He comes along and he makes the very same point. If you're holding back on God, if you're not trusting him, then he's not going to open the windows of heaven. He's not going to promise to take care of those needs. Instead, you are going to reap sparingly. And then the, the verse that we really know well, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me Turn this a little bit differently and just know God wants you to trust him. Not because he's twisting your arm. But because your worship is from the heart toward God. He doesn't want it out of compulsion because that's worthless. He doesn't want it because it's reluctant. That's vain. But there is such an awareness of trusting in God that you want to give your whole to him, your life to him, everything to him. That's the imagery of what's happening here is this loving to give ourselves to God. Now notice what he explores with that. And God, who is able to make all grace abound to you, just 
God is able to make all grace, and that's talking about everything, not just forgiveness of sins. That's everything. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Trust me, I've got this. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that you are sufficient in all things. And of course, the end of it says so that you can have a bunch of stuff and, you know, ride your wealth off into the sunset. That's that's where the health wealth gospel then takes the, the left turn off the road. No, what's the rest of it? He's blessing you so that you will do good with it. You'll carry out God's work on this earth. That you may abound in every good work. God will take care of you and you will use that to seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Here's his promise. As he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor and his righteousness endures forever. Let's look at this final one, verse 10. So here's God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Okay, so who's in charge of all this again? God. The one who is supplying the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of righteousness. This is the very same picture that Malachi was talking about and asking the people, do you trust me with everything, understanding that everything comes from God? Everything we have comes from God. If I do gymnastics, I'd stand on my head. Everything. This is what God's trying to tell us. There is not a single thing that you and I have that we say, yeah, that was me. I did that. He's in charge of all of that. He's in charge of the sowing and the seed and the bread is what Paul is saying. Or to use the imagery here, he's in charge of the windows of heaven. He's in charge of the devourer. He will make sure that you have what you need so that you can go and do likewise to others. And it is a tremendous challenge that God is putting forward to us. Put him to the test and see if he will supply your needs so that you can supply the needs of others. All right. Three big points. I think it's four screens, but it's really three big points, but you know, I only fit so much. Number one, I want you to think about repentance in this light. One of the reasons that Malachi is calling for the people to repent is because God is trying to tell the people, I want to provide for you and take care of you. But you won't let me do it. I want to take care of you. I want you to put your life in my hands. 
so that I can provide for you and take care of you. And this should make logical sense to us. So much, many of these images to me make perfect sense as a parent now. If you have children who are defying you and rebelling against you, you can't continue to support them and bless them and just give them. They're, they're taking all those things and destroying themselves with it. I can't, I can't support that. I can't do that. Uh, what I'm going to give you is only going to make things worse. I'm not going to do that. It's the same idea. How am I going to care for you if all that you're doing is not trusting me? If you're taking that and running into sin and running far from God. That's what he's trying to tell these people. And that's what Paul was point he was making as well. And what Jesus is saying, why don't you seek me first and just watch what happens? Just see how I will care for you. I mean, please, just, just take a moment of honesty. How would we have done in the wilderness? How would we have done? When there was literally no water or food before their eyes. How would we have done would, would we be like, hey, you know, we're pressing onto the promised land and it's okay. And I know somehow, some way, God's going to give us food. I know it's day 29 and we haven't had food yet, but I believe that God is going to give us food. I mean, he waited a month. I think I would have been on the 10 minute mark. Where's the food? Where's the food? How do we have done God's challenging us here. He wants to bless us if we would really give our lives to him, if we would really understand that he's asking for your whole being to not hold back to him at all. And the reason he wants us is because he wants to care for you just as much as a parent does not want their child taking their blessings and running into sin and destroying themselves. God doesn't want the same for us either. And so God wants us to trust him so that we can, he can shower his blessings upon us. And so ultimately what God is doing is asking us to prove him by trusting him. It's tough questions right here. Do you believe that God will take care of you and provide for you no matter what? Do you believe that you can give everything to him first and he'll take care of the rest. Do we believe that we can give him our best and we can believe that he will take care of the rest? Jesus said, you can trust him with everything. You can trust him with everything. That he has your life in his hands. And I think the, the reason why I am struck by the Macedonian Christians as the Apostle Paul illustrates them in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Is because what they do is so backward to how we think this whole faith thing with God should go. Here, here's here's how, how we, we think this all works. We go, okay, me first. God, take care of me. And what I need and what I want, and I'm going to take care of me. Physical, financial, emotional, everything. God, take care of me. 
And once I have all of me all sorted out and figured out, then God. And then I'll think about the things of God if there's anything left over to give to him. Right? That's what we do. So here's my ball of time, all of my time, me. And once I've got all of me with my time, then okay, then God, if there's any time left over. When it comes to my stuff, me. And if there's any stuff left over, then God. Uh, serving, got to serve me. And if there's any time for some serving after that, then God. That, this is, this is, we think this is Christianity that we're doing good. Because the world just says me and puts the period. And we go, oh no, it's me and then God. So there, we're, we're great Christians, right? Did you notice that Malachi and Jesus and Paul are all saying, actually, it's the reverse? Here's God's challenge. Me first. Trust me. Give to me first. Trust me with your life. Trust me with your heart. Trust me with your worship. Trust me with your stuff. Trust me with your time. Trust me with your service. Then you. And if you will do God first, then you, God says, I've got the rest. Amen. Amen. We cling to the first paradigm. Me, then God, if there's anything left. And I hope you will hear the words of Malachi that Malachi is saying, would you put me to the test? Would you see that you can give me first? All right, let me wrap up with some some ideas and final challenges. What God is wanting is your trust. At the end of the day, the point of this is not money. Hope you, you catch that. The point of this is, is not money in the slightest. You think God's going, you know, I'm really bummed out that I don't have some food in the warehouse and I'm, you know, it's gonna, gonna be terrible that I don't have some stuff. Would you please give me some food? That's not the idea, right? The whole idea is trust. We show trust with what we have. We show trust with our bodies. We show trust with our stuff, with our wealth, with our time. That's how we show we trust. That's the only way to do it. You can say we trust God, but if there's nothing tangible to show that, we don't. So that's why God was using this as an illustration. He's not up there going, "Ah, I can't believe I didn't get my full 10%. I really need that to survive. I'm asking you to show me that you trust me so that I can just open the windows of heaven and take care of you. So what I'm asking you is we turn the page to this new year, Lord willing, tomorrow. Is will you choose to be all in with God or not? To make this year a very different year than what maybe happened this last year. And to really consider, are there areas in your life that you're holding back on giving God? Because God wants the whole you. But it is easy for us to kind of quarantine God. God's got my two hour Sunday morning and my one hour Sunday night. You know, okay, he's got that. And I've got all of this. That's not how God looks at this. God is asking for all of you. 
And I think it would be very easy for all of us to say there are a lot of areas that we can look at and go, I've been doing the me than God. And God's asking you to trust him. Make it God first in 2024. With your stuff, with your time, with your family, with your careers, with your serving, with your worship. Just keep going. Just everything about you. God first, then me. God says I'll take care of the rest. Or to put this another way, have we been robbing God? Because that's how God started this whole conversation with the people. He said, you're robbing me because you're not giving me you. You're holding back. Don't hold back. Give him your everything and put God to the test. See what he'll do in your life for this next year. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for how easily We fail to trust you. We fail to trust you, Lord, with the time that you have been given to us. We fail to trust you in terms of the wealth that we have, in terms of the income that we make. We fail to trust you with the possessions that we have. We fail to trust you with our families. We fail to trust you in our relationships. Lord, there are so many ways we fail over and over again. God, forgive us for how often we put ourselves first and only think of you afterward. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage and strength to make this coming year far different than what we've done in this past year. And Lord, I pray that we would have a faith to trust you in all areas of our lives, not just a few. And Lord, I pray that you would expose our hearts and help us to see where we may be holding back. Help us to see where we've been holding back and what rightfully belongs to you. And Lord, we know that we live and move and breathe and have our being because of you and that everything that we have is because of you. Everything about us is a hundred percent because of you. And Lord, help us to not forget it. Everything we have 100% belongs to you. And so Lord, I pray that we would act that way. Help us to see that all that we've enjoyed this last year is because of your goodness and your good hand. And help us to see the lives that we enjoy right now is because of your good hand. And Lord, help us to be willing to lay those things down and to truly trust you. And Lord, thank you so much for all the care that you have given to us in the past so that we have no reason for disbelief but rather every reason to believe that you will continue to care for us as we continue to look forward to an eternity with you. We pray this through your son and our savior, Jesus, and amen. Amen. You know, depending upon how long you've lived, you have a, a long track record to look at how many times God has cared for you so far. How many ball drops have happened for you in your life so far? And how many times has God carried you through? And how many times has God provided for you? And how many times has God said, you can trust me. Uh, You you, you can, I'm with you. You can give this over to me. And how often we forget to do it. 
So make this year a much better year. This is a great time to give your life to Jesus. You know, in a time of resolutions and everybody thinks about, okay, what are we going to do different next year? We're going to exercise. We're going to diet. We're going to change all these things. Next year is going to be so much better. You know, the best thing you can do is get your life to Jesus. That's the best thing you can do for 2024. We would love to help you do that today. Turn away from your sins. Confess Jesus to be the son of God who came into this world, who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. To start that journey of faith with him, we would love to help you do that. You can talk to me afterward, talk to Dan, talk to someone next to you, or you can come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.